Hi, welcome along to Soundtrack in my weekly podcast where I get to dive into the creative minds of someone from the world of either film, music or TV, maybe all three. And that's what's so brilliant. Well, I think so brilliant about this podcast is that every week is an utterly unique conversation to that person that we have. We've got loads of exciting things coming up over the next couple of weeks. We are continuing our partnership with View, which has been really fun. Um, And to kind of tie in with that, we've got a couple of really big films that we're going to be talking about in uh, podcast episodes in the future. So we're going to be talking about Jurassic Park Dominion. We're also going to be talking about Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. I'll tell you more about that at the end of this episode. See what I did there? And our latest guest on Soundtracking is someone that I've been trying to get on for a very long time. Anne Dudley made her name in The Art of Noise and has since gone on to score many films, including The Full Monty, for which she won an Oscar. She's also collaborated with some of the biggest names in pop. Do you want a few? Tina Turner, Elton John, Liza Minnelli and ABC, to name but a few more of which later. But we will begin with the title track from her latest album, Crossing the Bar. I'm very well indeed, thank you. Yeah, listen, it's, it's so, I don't know, utterly inspiring when you see someone like yourself who who just seems to be constantly inspired themselves with regards to creating, you know, whether that's for other people or for yourself. Oh, that's very kind of you to say so. I suppose I never lose this sort of childish love of sound and music, really. Yeah. <laughs> I can still get really excited by things. You know, do you, I hope it lasts forever. <laughs> yeah, same. I hope I get to talk about it forever. Do you remember when you had originally had that connection with music or sound and when it, it kind of, I don't know, it, it, it attached itself to you or it kind of introduced itself to you? Well, if funny you should say that, I was thinking about, you know, the first things that I ever heard musically. And um, we didn't have many records when I was a kid, but what we did have... We had a recording of The Ugly Duckling by Danny Kell. Yeah. And I loved it. And I listened to it again the other day. And I know why I loved it. Because in that last verse where the the ugly duckling becomes a swan, there's this fantastic surge in the music. Mm -hmm. You know, the bit where with a glide and a da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And a head so noble. I mean... It still got to me, you know, <laughs> and I was back being five years old. 
And I think it was just that sort of wonderful uplift in the music that um, made me want to listen to it again and again and again. And, and of course, really lis- listening to it and thinking about it, that's probably what the arranger did. The arranger made that so fantastic. Yeah, so that's one of my earliest music musical memories. And I remember sort of getting um, very... Uh, very excited by it and wanting to know how it worked. Yeah. Really. All through the winter time, he hid himself away, ashamed to show his face, afraid of what others might say. All through the winter, in his lonely clump of weed, till a flock of swans spied him there and very soon agreed, You're a very fine swan indeed. I remember watching that film loads as a kid that featured that performance as well, where he's playing Hans Christian Andersen, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 And he was, he was such a showman as well. And it was that kind of, I don't know, I have this real kind of romantic attachment to those kind of movies, you know, whether it's him or it's something like the red shoes or something, there's just this beautiful, yeah. I don't know, the music really mattered. Yeah. It, it did really matter, and, and it was so much part of the whole character of the thing, so much part of the way that we perceived it, uh, especially as children, I think. That film, I was just looking to see how old that film was, Hans Christian Andersen, Charles Vider film, and it was 1952 it was made, <laughs> which makes it 70 years old. But I love, there you go. There you I go. love there you go. that just things for it doesn't that's the thing with me it's like I doesn't it shouldn't matter when it was made or who made it it should just be the connection that you have with it should just be you know should be celebrated really as well yeah what an amazing yeah I'm gonna I really want to go watch it used to be a Saturday afternoon thing where it would be on the telly <laughs> I'm going to go and watch it as well. Yeah. When did, right after we finish. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's just wait for that, please. And um, when did you start making music? When did you start creating? Well, I had a very sort of uh, ordinary introduction to it, really. I started playing the recorder. Yeah, you do. We all do. <laughs> and most people hate playing the recorder, but I loved playing the recorder. Quarter. and um you're in good company uh, got, johnny greenwood feels exactly the same ah, there you go i didn't know that i didn't know that but in my primary school the, my primary school acquired one clarinet when i was about nine <laughs> and it was to go to the best recorder player yeah and i don't think i ever wanted anything as badly in my life as oh. this clarinet and i was very nervous that i wouldn't wouldn't be the best you know but actually I did get the clarinet yes (laughs) and I I just um yeah yeah so that was that was the start and then then I started to have piano lessons because we bought a piano a a sort of crappy old upright piano (laughs) and um I went to this old lady up the road Mrs Scrivens (laughs) piano lessons and again, I, I really loved it. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't read music for ages. I just sort of used to, I don't know how I got, around, got away with it, really. Mm. You know, and then one, led, one thing led to the other. And, you know, from then on, really, I never really wanted to do anything else. I mean, it's wonderful to think about the kind of diversity of things that you've worked on, whether that be, you know, the work with Art of Noise to then, you know, kind of award-winning composing to still releasing your own music and still having that kind of desire to 
because the composing for for film and TV is you're part of a collective, you're part of a, it's a collaboration, you know, you're, you're facilitating the narrative and the characters and the director's vision really, but it's important to you to still be creating for yourself as well in terms of releasing your own music. Yeah. I mean, I love being part of the team and yeah. I love the challenge that each different TV thing or film thing brings because it's never going to be exactly the same. And, I, you know, I don't try and repeat myself on things. It's lovely to take on a new challenge. But then it is very satisfying to have the opportunity to do something which is not dictated by the visuals, where the music actually comes first. Yeah. And it's music for music's sake. So that's why from time to time I've felt the urge to sort of do my own um, my own recordings, my own album. Um, yeah. Including this latest one, Crossing the Bar. What was the kind of catalyst for Crossing the Bar? What was the kind of, I don't know, the, the unlocking of that, of what, what you wanted to write and how you wanted to write, yeah, what you wanted to say with it? Well, during the dreaded lockdown, we <laughs> all spent much more time at home uh, and one wasn't going out as much. And I discovered again my love of playing the piano because I do love playing the piano. And I thought it was about time that I actually, I was getting a bit frustrated with the piano that I had, which kept going out of tune and you couldn't get a <laughs> tune for love nor money in lockdown. So I thought, well, it's time to get another piano, a slightly larger piano, which take up even more room in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I went and got a new piano. I mean, not a new, new piano, but a different piano. Mm-hmm. And when it came, I was very excited about it. And, and I just fell in love with playing it all over again and used to spend ages just sort of playing it. And it had a great bass end mm-hmm. and just seemed to have just beautiful sort of modern sound about it. Because my, my previous piano was quite old and this, this was a bit newer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started to write some pieces for it. And um, one thing led to another. And after a while, I had sort of four or five pieces. So I played them to my lovely publishing company and they said, oh, this is really good. Mm. You should continue and and make a whole collection of it and and release an album. So so I did. Wow. And that's how it came about. And after um, after I've written some of the piano pieces, I thought, well, I want a bit more color in this. So I got some of my favorite string players together and there's some some string players on the on the album as well so it's piano and strings it's a little bit of electronics but it's basically based around this lovely um sound of my new piano lovely a new relationship almost falling in love with it in a way finding each other <laughs> yeah exactly love we're that. very happy with each other at the moment <laughs> <Good>. <laughs>
writing purely for yourself as opposed to, you know, for, for other, other people and specific projects, what inspires you? Where do you start? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's music for its own sake. There was a couple of inspirations, actually. One was a particular day. It was mm-hmm. very, very cold and it started to snow outside the window. And when I'm when I'm writing to film, I'm usually sort of I might start at the piano and be watching the film on a screen. But actually, I was playing the piano and watching the snow fall outside the window. And there's a lovely piece by Debussy called The Snow Dances. And it was covered, actually, by the synth player Tomito, Tomita, Tomito. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those first sort of synthesizer versions of classical music. It was particularly beautiful, actually. It's lovely. And I started thinking about that and looking at the snow falling in this very sort of irregular, weird pattern. It was very large snowflakes that you get sometimes. And um, I started getting this little pattern together on the piano. And um, so I started with this piece, The Snow Dances, which is the, the first piece on the album. So that one was actually inspired by a visual thing. Yeah. Um, which is sort of ironic when I'm saying that. I, <laughs> I didn't think it was inspired by visual things. Mm-hmm. But then there's a piece like The Prelude and Chicon, which is entirely inspired by sort of Baroque music. Yeah. By music that's got a lot of counterpoint, a lot of intertwining melodies. And that was something um, as an almost sort of intellectual um, challenge. So it depended, really. 
but sometimes I just sit down and see my, where my where my hands will take me. Once Around the Sun is one of my favourite tracks on the record. I love uh, that. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a very, very simple song based around a chord sequence, which repeats over and over again. And there's one little tiny cheeky <laughs> quote of Rachmaninoff in it, which you may have noticed, dum, 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 which is his famous prelude in C-sharp minor. But that's, very, that's a very still piece, mm. isn't it? Sometimes it's a question of what to do with a very small amount of material, yeah. just in terms of how does it sound? How are they going to play it? How am I going to play it? You know, there's a million ways of playing one single note on a string instrument. Mm -hmm. Just experimenting with just a few notes 
and just seeing how much variety and variation you can get just in the way it's played. And I enjoyed that challenge as well, not writing too many notes. Yeah. I mean, it would be impossible to kind of go into depth about all your work that you've worked on in terms of, you know, film scores and things like that. But it's it's so wonderful when you do see the kind of, you know, the diversity of of kind of what what you've been so great at, whether it's something like Paul Verhoeven's L or, you know, back to the winning the Oscar for the film Monty, the crying game and American History X as well, you know, and, and it's we've talked about you quite a lot on the podcast with various people, whether it be Old Parker from Mamma Mia or the wonderful Stephen Woolley and Elizabeth um, Carlson for the crying game as well. You know, we've, it's been lovely that we've talked about your work on the, the show over, you know, over the last few years and things and looking back on some of your brilliant work. What is it that you look for in a project when you are when you when you want you want to or your approach to be involved to to compose a score? It's I gen, it generally starts with somebody sending you a script. Yeah. So it has to be something that uh, is going to grab me in terms of the characters, the plot, the usual things. Really. Yeah. And then. But, but it's hard to make a decision just based on a script because you don't know what the actors are going to be. You don't know how the pacing is going to be. You don't yeah. know what the production design is going to bring to it. So it's really useful to see even some sort of rough rough cut, you know, some yeah. early rushes, because then at least you can get some sort of handle on it. Then I look for something that I can latch onto musically. In L, it was this extraordinary character that Isabelle Huppert plays. She's amazing, isn't she? You cannot, yeah, but you can't define what she is. She she could be very cold. She's got this incredible sort of resilience. She's very hard to pin down. And then it turns out she's got this terrible background and it's such an interesting character. And on something like that, you know, I, I sort of thought, well, I should approach it in a, in a sort of traditional way. She should have a theme, but it should change every hmm. time it comes. It yeah. should have a slight variation in it because she's never the same character and you can't tr- quite tie her down. So the, the, the music will sort of have a different speed to it. It'll have a different rhythm to it. It'll have different harmonies to it. But it's a recognisable theme that goes all the way through it. something but something I can latch on to musically mm. and then it's a different thing in each project I mean with the comedy with um the hustle that was a fantastic setting mm. in the south of France and it was based on this wonderful 
movie from the 70s called Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah. Had this great sort of jazzy hot club of France score, <laughs> and it just felt so right to explore that idea—the gypsy guitar and the sort of Stefan Grappelli sort of violin—and it's very lightweight. It's light and fluffy. Um, I like the contrast between the characters of Anne Hathaway and um, Rebel Wilson. I mean, they were yeah. just so absurd together. <laughs> yeah, they? yeah. Um, I tell you what's great, the um, which I really loved was everybody's talking about Jamie because it's such an interesting journey for a project, you know, in terms of the stage play, the musical, you know, and the songs that were already existing. But then I know that the film was almost kind of being pre-production whilst the stage play was going on, or kind of thing. You know, it was all, they were almost kind of running slightly parallel. But when there are kind of big numbers in something, and I, I guess Mama Mia is kind of similar as well. You've got to, I, I guess, the goalposts are slightly not quite as wide in terms of what you can do or, or is that kind of that must be fun though as well in terms of you've got to be creative and find something to say in your music but it's also got to blend and not kind of jar with with the existing things that are always going to be there yeah I think you've got to accept it if you're going to get involved with something like Mamma Mia here we go again, or everybody's yeah. talking about Jamie. Nobody's really coming to hear your score. Let's be honest. They're coming to hear the song. It's important, so, though. <laughs> it's important. It's yeah. very important because it's not the stage play and it's got to feel like a film. So what you've got to bring to it is something that makes it filmic and yet sort of bridges those moments between the songs and gets you into the songs yeah. convincingly. And that's something that I I take as the wonderful challenge, mm. getting from a from A song to B song and making it seamless. And also how, how in, in terms of the sort of language that you can use, in terms of this harmonic language and the sort of style of the score, you've got to sort of be a bit of a chameleon, really, and yeah. make it feel like it's all one. Yeah. So with Mamma Mia, here, here we go again. I had to sort of take on that sort of ABBA style, those wonderful harmonies that they using the songs and I mean there's a sequence in in Mamma Mia where uh where the, the friends actually arrive 
I used a, an ABBA song, Honey, Honey, which doesn't actually appear in the film at all, but I discussed it with Benny, my mate Benny. <laughs> <laughs> and um, he said, Love well, that. you know, could, could you use, could you use, you know, one of our other, one of our songs? And I said, yeah, that'd be great. I could do this sort of guitar-y, bazooki arrangement of it. And it it becomes this sort of wonderful summery Greek going on holiday mm. vibe. But actually, harmonically, it's all ABBA. Um, it's just an arrangement. That's so of, clever, though. I thought it was brilliantly done, actually. Mm by the composer in Promising Young Woman. Oh, you, yeah, I love that you know, film. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, pop songs with these really sort of um, Herman-esque sort of arrangements. chameleon and and taking sometimes being quite humble and taking on the fact that uh it's somebody else's songs and you just have to do your best for them yeah what is it like when you work with with you know working with directors over a number of films you're Paul Verhoeven being one of them with Black Book and then L and you know and and kind of returning with compose with directors to work with them and I guess forming some kind of not shorthand but you know it's it's a because it must be kind of really you know, it's 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 a bit like sort of dating, I guess, in a way of terms of, you know, kind of like it's a, you're thrown into a situation with someone that you might not really know that well, but you've got to find this kind of creative intimacy in a way. You have. And um, the way that people express their ideas about music can be quite um, bizarre sometimes. Because <laughs> yeah. not, not everybody's very articulate about it. And they, they sometimes sort of send you down the wrong path <laughs> because they've just used the wrong sort of language, yeah. which is quite funny. But somebody like Paul Verhoeven, he's, he's incredibly cultured, actually, and incredibly knowledgeable about music. And he'll quite happily talk about Shostakovich symphonies mm. and Stravinsky his his wife is a um classical musician who used to teach oh, classical wow. music in um in a, a university in um California UCLA and um so he's very very at home talking about various musical influences 
And then, and he'll sometimes be very specific. He say, "There's, uh, I really love the bit that, of this string quartet. This bit from you know one minute thirty to two minutes twenty, and he sort of find, find me the precise bit." And then he said, "And and then we'll be talking in great detail about anything." And then he'll end up saying, "But you can do whatever you like, really." <laughs> <laughs> so he's absolutely the best sort of collaboration, really. There's this great sort of um, discussion yeah. and opening my eye, my mind to, to whatever creative ideas are going on, and then a great trust at the yeah. end of it. Yeah. I mean, when you have that relationship with a director, I think you can do your best work. I think Alexandra Desplat has done lots of films with Wes Anderson. Yeah. And I spoke to him about it and he said, well, he just trusts me so I can feel creatively free mm. to, because uh, it doesn't have to go through a whole committee of producers and executive producers who all have to sign off on it. And that doesn't happen with Maverick directors like yeah. um, Paul and Wes Anderson. They yeah. do their own thing. And, you know, their whole creative team feels very comfortable uh, pushing the boundaries yeah we kind of need you need more people like that as well it's, it's kind of yeah just in terms of that idea of kind of you know they, they, they know exactly kind of what they want to do and they know the team that they want and they kind of don't let anybody influence that or or you know, interfere with that really as well it's a wonderful place to be it is it is mm. there's a little there's a little bit too much sort of committee work yeah yeah in every aspect I think of filmmaking yeah um I love Benedetta as well I thought it was incredible I mean I'm just such a fan of his as a filmmaker I think his stories he tells and just the way he the way he tells female stories as well so you know he's just he's he's great yeah. yeah he just yeah he's got such a great integrity with women I think in his filmmaking Yes, he, he loves women and mm. he's he says, you know, he's he's quite um over about um his um feminist uh credentials, really. I think sometimes people think the opposite, but I can tell you that he is an absolute um joy to work with. Yeah. You know. I've got to ask what you did on Skilo, I wish, because I love that song so much. And I was when I was doing my research, your name came up under that song. <laughs> And I was like, what did Anne do on Skilo, I wish? Because we're there, I was at a party on Saturday night and the DJ played it and I was like straight on the dance floor going, oh, yes. And then when I was doing my research for the last couple of days, I was like, hold on, this is weird. What did Anne do on Skilo, I wish? Well, sort of nothing, really. <laughs> because, um, and, and I'd like to also point out that I have a credit on an Eminem song. Oh, which one? Uh, Without Me. Oh wow! And it's all to when do he was good. with <laughs> samples, you see, because okay. um, if somebody uses a sample of, say, Buffalo Gals or Moments in Love or Close to the Edit, yeah, and you, as the writer to those original songs, yeah, become a writer on the song, and you get your sort of very tiny percentage usually. <laughs> but I can't tell you how much it influenced the teenage sons of a friend of mine when I said <laughs> that I had a credit on a Eminem song and they just look at me in a completely different light <laughs> so it's it's great
that from is that from kind of score work that they're sampling, or is it just all, all sorts of things that they're picking oh, up? Oh, it's mostly mostly art of noise. Mostly yeah, art of okay. Noise. Art of noise is is sampled a lot. Still um, influencing. Yeah, bizarrely, I mean Drake sampled something of ours. No, it wasn't that actually art of noise. He sampled a Malcolm McLaren track. Oh wow! I think people do look at these sort of pioneers of the 80s sometimes to um they have a sort of i don't know they have a sort of kudos in in that world it was the start of a massive movement of the electronic movement wasn't it prior to that it was something totally different and so yeah. you know there was a number of people out of noise being one of them who were so you know they were they were the mavericks of that world and they were the you know you were the maverick of that world you know part of that it was kind of it's it's weirdly when you think back on you know when you were talking about um Paul wanting to use a, a, or talking about a specific part of a was it Shostakovich or something and you were but that that all art of noise in the eighties music almost has that type of thing now with new artists in terms of they want to have a kind of a foot in on the authenticity of what was happening at this changing point in music almost. Yes, I suppose so. Yeah, uh, and certain artists um, like Kraftwerk, for example, mm. um, they, they just have this status as maverick <laughs> innovators. The, the beginnings, you know, yeah. it feels like the beginnings yeah. <laughs> to a lot yeah. of the younger artists now. Yeah, and the amount of artists that you've, you know, you've kind of done, whether it be you know orchestration for or session work for as well, it's. Oh my god, it's it's unbelievable. Everything from Frankie Goes to Hollywood to Annie Lennox, who I absolutely adore, to Pulp. You know, there's just everything and everything in there. It's an amazing collection. Tina Turner. Oh my god, what was Tina Turner like? <laughs> oh, she's delightful. Oh, um, well, Trevor Horn was producing one of her albums. Yeah, and um, so yeah, so I got to work with Tina Turner. It was lovely. And, oh gosh, one of my favourites was Liza Minnelli, actually. Oh! Liza Minnelli on um, the Pet Shop Boys. Results, yeah. For her, actually, uh, with some fantastic tracks on it, actually. Yeah. And, you know, she had such a reputation of being quite a difficult character, and she was just so not. <laughs> she just came to the studio and she sang some of the tracks mm. live. And she was just so, oh, she was just so into the whole process. Yeah. What a legend. Um, the trouble is, 
Edith, we have to dis- we have to sign non-disclosure. Oh, boo. <laughs> I could so tell you, but I'd have to do type of answer, isn't it? <laughs> that's such a terrible answer, but I'm afraid that's the way it is. Can we talk about what's next then? <laughs> Actually, what I can tell you about what's next is um, I'm going on tour. <gasps> I'm going on a tour with ABC. Oh, wow. For the... 40th anniversary it's of just the a number <laughs> just a number <laughs> of um the lexicon of love oh wow and in a, in a week or so's time we'll start rehearsing and then we're doing a tour and i'm conducting the orchestra so we have a full orchestra on stage we do the full orchestration of the lexicon of love we have about 50 people on stage so it's oh my gosh And we start in Oxford, we're doing Bath, we're doing Birmingham City Hall, Glasgow, the Royal Albert Hall, City Hall in Sheffield. It's going to be a blast. Oh, here's my arms just stood on end thinking about that. That's incredible. What a great thing to look forward to. Yeah, it is a great thing to look forward to because, you know, I, I, I haven't done any live music for ages. I mean, um, we were due to do some sort of tour, then of course lockdown scuppered that. Yeah. So it's been a while, and this is this is quite a quite a good one to do. Yeah. <laughs> because the audiences are just so lovely. They just they're on their feet for the entire second half usually, and they sing along all the lyrics. Hungry for um, it. It's just a sort of wonderful. Well, it's a wonderful nostalgia fest, but also, you know, I think musically we do it proud. Amazing. Oh, I'm going to try and come and see that for sure. I mean, yeah, there's there's something sort of we've, I've missed. That's one of the things I've missed the most in terms of, you know, the the amount of live music that I've kind of missed out on in the last two years, whether that be, you know, take my kids to watch Star Wars with a live score at the Royal Albert Hall and mm-hmm. stuff like that. It's kind of I remember my my. um my youngest, who's nine now, so he must have been about six at the time. It's one of the last things we saw together before lockdown, actually. And I remember just turning around to me going, I didn't realise there was so much music in it, Mum, because you can physically see the players are playing the entire time that that film's on. It was um, Empire Strikes Back. And and it's... um. And no wonder they need an interval. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of... I know, it's demanding. (laughs) He was just kind of mesmerised by by this. It was the, I can't remember which orchestra it was now. I think it was London... Oh, I'd be, be guessing if I said, but it was um, it was wonderful, really, really, really wonderful. So I'm so excited for you to be going on tour. Yeah. That's going to be magical. It's going to be great. And we we put the string players up on risers, so you you can actually see the bows all sort of going right. nine to a dozen. It's it's uh, it's it's a great spectacle. Amazing. Well, listen, you let me know when we can talk about the secret thing as well. And we'll maybe have another chat when that happens. Um, <laughs> and it's been so great to chat to you. Thank you so much for being so patient with me as well after having to uh, to cancel yeah. last time because of that nine, now nine-year-old. But um, it's so great to chat to you, Anne. It really, okay, really yeah. is. I hope the nine-year-old's fine. <laughs> yeah, he's absolutely fine. Yeah, totally. Um, thank you so much. Have a great day and good luck with rehearsals. Thank you very much. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Anne. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm. Whoa, 
on the lexicon of love, that's the look of love, sorry, which Anne Dudley will be conducting on tour with ABC. My huge thanks to Anne for taking the time to talk to us. Her album Crossing the Bar is out now and that tour with ABC takes place throughout June. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with every single episode of Soundtracking and find links to Spotify playlists for the show in which we list the songs in the order they appear so you can listen to the music in full. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And if you want to email us, well, simple thing to do is to do that at info at edithbowman.com that's info at edithbowman.com it could be about anything guests you want to hear on the podcast episodes you've listened to films you've liked anything you want but please do get in touch we'd love to hear from you info at edithbowman.com now I was teasing future episodes at the start of this episode so coming up not next week but in the next couple of weeks the one and only Mr Baz Lerman talks about Elvis oh my lordy a how brilliant is that film and b what an absolute joy it was to chat to Baz Luhrmann but before all that um a gentleman who I was sure I'd had on a podcast before but apparently not but I've definitely talked to him but he is back taking the helm of the latest in the Jurassic Park franchise Jurassic Park Dominion Mr Colin Trevorrow who is a joy to talk to and his enthusiasm for not just the whole Jurassic Park world but for what they do with John Williams music, him and Michael Giacchino, and just for what he does. So next week's guest is the one and only Mr. Colin Trevorrow. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>